This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. As the USC coaching rumors continue to swirl, you knew somebody was going to say it. You just didn't know who. Every NFL coach with college experience is going to get lumped into this, which, of course, means Matt Rule is going to. And it happened. Who was the first guy to have this take? College game day host Reese Davis. Come on down. I were Mike Boning. You're going to hear a lot about Luke Fickle, and rightfully so because he hired him at Cincinnati. If I were in that chair making the choice, the first thing I would do is go and make Matt Rule convince me that he's happy in the NFL and I would make him say no. Now, if he does, then we move on from there. And I'm, I'm not sure that I see Campbell fitting there because unless your name is Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, fit is important. And I agree with that. Fit is very important, Reese. Which is why USC should think twice if they want to call Matt Rule. I don't think USC will strongly consider Matt. And if they did, I don't think Matt Rule would talk to them long before saying no, he's not interested in the gig. But actually saying no. Not just in a public sense like Urban Meyer did earlier today. We'll get to that later on because I don't know if I buy that. Urban's certainly somebody I expect to be in the mix for this job. But let's get to the USC side of this first. Matt Rule has never coached a Blue Blood program. When he was winning, he was winning at Temple and at Baylor. Two of the worst jobs in all of college football. Nobody won at Temple. Bruce Arians didn't even win that consistently at Temple. But Matt Rule did. He turned that thing around, made them competitive, made them a ranked team, I think, at one point. Did an outstanding job there. At Baylor, the toughest of circumstances following Art Bryles' dismissal. He cleaned that program up, had them a few plays away from going to the college football playoff, his final game against Oklahoma, or his final Big 12 game against Oklahoma because he lost a few weeks after that, in the Sugar Bowl to Kirby Smart in Georgia. Temple and Baylor, not really comparable to what you'd be taking on at USC. You'd have to recruit and develop a totally different type of player than you've had before. It's different. Your pitch is going to be different. Your The way you run your program is going to be different. The amount you play guys during the week because you're expecting NFL talent to be leaving year to year, that's going to be different. It's totally different. When you think of Matt Rule, when we were talking about Matt as a candidate for the Panthers job, the two words you heard most often put together, culture builder. That's who Matt is. You don't need a culture builder at Southern Cal. They have the culture. They have the history. They don't need you to be that guy, Matt Rule. They just need you to win. It's why 
when North Carolina and Duke had openings in basketball this year, Duke technically having an opening, they weren't looking for people to build culture. That's not what they wanted. They have the culture at those places. At the Blue Bloods, they have them. You just need to know how to win at that level. That's why when Shaka Smart was great at VCU, then wasn't so great at Texas and failed this past offseason to take the Marquette job, I think a big part of the reason that did not work in Austin was because he was recruiting a totally different player, different kind of player than he had to recruit at VCU and is going to recruit at Marquette. I think he's going to do a great job at Marquette. But it didn't work at Texas because it wasn't a fit, and this is why Matt's not a fit there. It's why I'd be skeptical, like Reese was, about Matt Campbell and P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck coming from Western Michigan, then going to Minnesota, and Matt Campbell coaching in Ames. Winning at Ames deserves a lot of credit. A hell of a coach, but not having a top 50 recruiting class. That's not the type of way you're supposed to run a program when you're at a blue blood. NFL experience, I think it's it should be preferred. I don't think it should be uh, a necessity. I think other coaches in college are qualified to take this job, but it is preferred. It can help you, but you'd like to have a more proven coach than Matt Rule, a more proven NFL coach. Matt's this is his second year, and he hasn't won a heck of a lot yet. He spent that one year with the Giants, but it was just that one year a decade ago. It's his second year. There are other candidates that have been in the NFL longer and had more success in the NFL than Matt Rule, thus makes them better candidates. The strengths that you that you like with Matt, I think are greater with a ton of other candidates that USC might be considering here. Going into the age of NIL in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, NFL job might be more comparable to what you're going to be dealing with at USC than coaching in the Big Ten like James Franklin. Ah. So that's the USC side of it and why I don't think it's a fit. As for Matt Rule, he'd turn it down probably for the most simple reason that there's no chance that USC is going to be able to pay him what he's already making with Carolina. Just in the most simple of terms. Matt Rule got a seven-year, $62 million contract from David Tepper. Seven-year, 62 mil, and there are incentives in it, Robert, that have it go all the way up, elevators up to 70 mil, which might be close to $10 million a year if you're doing math at home. Seven years, 62 mil, though, that's $8.9 million. The only college coach who's making more than $8.9 million a year is Nick Saban. That's it. USC paid Clay Helton four and a half mil last year. You think they're going to shell out twice as much to bring in Matt Rule? Because I don't. And if you're not going to get that, why would you leave the NFL if you're Matt? This is the other piece. Reese talks about see if he's happy in the NFL because it seems like Urban Meyer isn't very happy right now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe Matt is. Because we talk to him on all these calls, he doesn't seem miserable. He seems to be fitting in, fitting him well in Charlotte. And 
when I talk to guys, I, in fact, we were plugged in with Tom Coughlin. We were plugged in with other coaches who had relationships with Matt. Ruffin McDeal even told us once upon a time that he had a relationship with Matt, and they all kind of got the sense that he was an NFL guy, that the destination for Matt was going to be the league. I think the same was true of Joe Brady. So anytime you see Joe Brady lumped into some of these college jobs, I don't ever see that happening. The NFL is a destination for Matt and for Joe Brady. And it might not be any more complicated than maybe you don't want to be on the phone with 16- and 17-year-olds anymore and having to babysit college kids and deal with a lot of stuff like academics and such and NIL rules and the NCAA rule book and things and the existential crisis of all the next things that are coming down the line, all of that. I could see Matt Rule not wanting to deal with it at all. He talks about serious football plays, serious football guy, all of that, and he does love ball. In the NFL, that's all you have to worry about. And it's a relief for many of these coaches, and it's why the NFL is a destination for so many of them. So I don't think it's a fit for USC, and I don't think even if USC felt it was, Matt Rule would really entertain it. That's why. You know what I would do if I was USC? What's that? I would take, I'd be playing the long game. I'd take the mercenary approach, and i just hire coaches, and you can only come here for a one-year deal. In the meantime, I'm sending alcoholic chewing gum to Pete Carroll's office every day. I circle every big game that's happening on a Sunday the same day as a USC game. I'm inviting him to the stadium and saying, oh, we're going to rename the stadium after you. We're going to induct you and say you're the greatest coach in USC Hall of Fame. I do this every big game, so much to the fact where he can't say no. The next day, he comes in chomping on that alcoholic chewing gum. Oh, his breath reeks. He's got bags under his eyes. I think Pete's lost it. They fire him. USC scoops him up. He's back in USC. We pull a Mac Brown, and the Trojans are cool again. Yeah. Do you know how old Pete Carroll is? Uh, 70 years old? He is 70. In fact, I think today's his birthday. I think today, I think I saw that on Twitter somewhere, that today he turned 70 years old. Happy birthday, Pete Carroll. Here's some uh, alcoholic chewing gum. And some mini bottles. Oh, we're in California. You, might, you ever tried this ganj? It's legal here. You might I would not, do everything. You might not have to do that. Russell Wilson was so mad during the offseason. If things don't go well for Seattle this year, all the teams of the NFC West winning this weekend, th- there might be a situation. They choose the quarterback over Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll is 70 years old and they could potentially push him out. Well, that's why you play the long game. you got to sign those one-year deals. And if you're USC, I'm not trying to wait more than one or two years. So I'm going to send him all of that free stuff. (laughs) On Twitter at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600. If you want in on today's show. Bill O'Brien's my favorite for the job. Urban Meyer is certainly somebody you can't help but consider if he becomes available. Eric Bieniemy especially after certainly seemed like Eric Bieniemy might have had something to do with Adam Schefter getting the information he'd be interested in that job. Mario Cristobal, another one to keep an eye on. That if you talk about guys that don't have NFL experience, he makes a lot of sense. Riley Skinner going to be on today's show. Going to join us at 5.30. And things are going so well for Wake Forest right now. So well that it's making me nervous. This FSU game... (laughs) So, Wake Forest is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite against FSU. 
five and a half points. Yep, the Sports Hall of Fame. That's why we're having Riley on. He's going in with Sam Swank. Chris Paul's going in this week. Deeks are 2-0. and Weather's supposed to be great. You hope you have a great crowd again. The student turnout was awesome game one. You're thinking, boy, this is going to be fantastic for the Deeks. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. This FSU game reeks to me for Wake Forest. For no other reason than they're going to be sharp. The Seminoles are going to be, as Jeff Lebo, who's now an assistant coach for Carolina, once upon a time told me after getting set to face Virginia coming off a loss, they're going to be crispy. You lose to Jacksonville State. <laughs> Most embarrassing loss in school history. You're going to be seeing a motivated FSU team out there. Let's not forget, at this time last week, we were applauding FSU in week one for nearly beating Notre Dame in overtime. Wake Forest, meanwhile, has not faced a real test this year. Two teams that didn't play a year ago. One of them being an HBCU in Norfolk State last weekend. So Wake creamed them both. If you watched both games, though, the Deeks didn't execute as sharply as they would like. They let the quarterback get off a little bit from Norfolk State, and they didn't execute inside the 5-10 to 10 yard line in game one against ODU. And Dave Clawson recognizes that. This was Dave earlier talking about FSU playing competitive games while Wake Forest has not. They've had to play two four-quarter games. We haven't. Now, the positive is we've been able to play a lot of players. We have over 50 guys in our team that have played 25 snaps or more. And we're going to continue, you know, maybe not play 50, but, you know, we're going to play in the 40s and continue to play guys because uh, they deserve to play. And uh, we think that's our best chance to win. Here's a few other things I know. The Seminoles, they still have superior talent to the Deeks. Clawson knows this, Mike Norvell knows this, anybody who follows college football just a little bit knows this. Florida State, in the internet era, despite all the struggles with Willie Taggart and now with Mike Norvell, they've never not had a top 25 class. I hate the double negative, I just did that. They always have a top 25 class. They're usually in the top 10, and Mike Norvell is working on a top 10 class, according to 24-7 for the 2022 class, right now as we speak. Yet Wake Forest is still favored by five and a half in this game. By more than a field goal? It's surprising. Another thing I know, Wake Forest doesn't really have a great track record versus the Knolls. Sam Hartman does. Won the first three times he faced Bobby Bowden before losing his senior year. But since then, you have the win in 2011. It's great. You won the most recent timeout. Required Nick Skiba to hit five field goals in Winston-Salem. I was Willie Taggart's last game. But let's not forget, Willie Taggart's first year, as bad as it was, they beat Wake Forest by three touchdowns. And that might have been one of Dave's better teams at Wake Forest in 2018. The Deeks, they don't have a great track record. I never feel comfortable saying the Deeks should beat Florida State. And some are out there saying that. Vegas is close to saying that. That the Deeks should beat Florida State. I know I did this yesterday with another game, Robert, where I said, this is, I'd be surprised if this wasn't featured in best bets later this week and Mike Houston's voice is accenting this thing. But Florida State getting five and a half against Wake Forest. Really like that one there. Put some money on it. Yeah, really like that. It is insane. Everybody is insane. 
What's going on in there? You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. This is an ACC coach, the toughest ACC coach you think you'd want in the alley with you? Um, you know I can't do that. Matt Brown would not answer the question there. Adam Gold sitting here with us uh, after getting done with this show, noon to three. Mac Brown asked right there which ACC football coach he'd like in an alleyway with him, and he didn't answer the question. What do you mean you can't answer that question? You're not answering who would you not want in an alleyway with you. You're, you you want, can compliment another ACC coach. You want to know, you, you want to you tell us who you would like to have in the alleyway with you exactly. to protect you. Exactly. Hmm. So, or is he saying, you know, I can't answer that because I'm kicking all the asses in the ACC? Well, I think the answer is Jeff Collins. Is that right? He R- just looks like he could scrap. Yeah, he does. Really, we got to break this down into divisions. You've got the youth division. Do you know the one ACC head football coach who's still in his 30s? I mean, it's, it's not Collins. Uh, it's not is Collins. It, uh, Laffley? Halfley, I Halfley. thought, would be the youngest. Laffley. I made up a guy. I called him Matt Brown a second ago. Did you really? By like Excellent. two or three minutes ago at Excellent. the start of the segment. So we're off to great starts with ACC football coaches. Halfley's actually 42. I didn't realize Mike Norvell oh, okay. is 39 years old. And there's an old photo of Mike Norvell that went viral a few years ago when he got the Memphis job and he's taking over for Justin Fuente. Back when he was a wide receiver at Arkansas State, this might mm-hmm. factor into the conversation. He had the cornrows going. Mike Norvell did. He should he should have those photos destroyed. He really should. It doesn't look great. The internet doesn't forget, but he should do what he can to get rid of those photographs. Right. So if you want to go youth, there he is, 11 or 12 years younger than Jeff Collins. You got Halfley and Manny Diaz and Fuente, who are young guys. Then if you're going size division, it's Collins, it's Dave Doran, it's Pat Narduzzi. Narduzzi. I would go Narduzzi. Um, All played like linebacker or tight end. I I like Dave Doran, but Dave Doran's just, he just wants to go like hang out at the lake. uh, Do some fishing. Fish, listen to, uh, I don't know, the new Sturgill Simpson album. He's just just not interested. (laughs) He's just not interested. I think Narduzzi would throw down, but I think Jeff Collins is somebody that uh, you would want uh, on your side. I want Robert's take on this. Jeff Collins and Pat Narduzzi, I think, is who we've narrowed this down to. If it was a scrap, we're in a dark alleyway. By the way, have you ever been in a Collins dark alleyway also, and Collins really feel scared? shirts one size too small for him. He really does. He loves this medium. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a dark alleyway and been afraid? Oh yeah, tons of time. That's actually where I uh, fragrant. I, I just or uh, I'm just vagrant outside of people's uh, businesses in dark alleyways. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the one doing the scaring though. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to see ah! Robert in a dark. Oh, got me. Sorry, I was practicing. I think with uh, for Robert, it was also a dementor attack. Oh, that's the worst part. <laughs> the last time the he was in a dark part. alleyway. Getting this on Twitter, Scott Satterfield looks tough. Does he? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, with the glasses. I don't think Scott Satterfield looks. He, he looks a little bit like a math teacher. Yeah, Dave Doran would clean up in this state. I feel pretty mm-hmm. confident saying oh, yeah. that. Yes. I don't know, Sean Clark, can we go out to app? <laughs> if we're going out to app, Sean Clark, yes. I think he Sean would take Clark care would of be Doran. great. I'm still, wow. I'm still mad about the loss to Miami. 
I'm still mad about the loss to Miami. You and me both. The the uh, Chase Bryce not connecting on the touchdown pass that went down to the five. Why it should have been an easy touchdown. And I said right as soon as that play ended with the receiver falling down at the five because he was out of off balance. I hope that they can punch that in because that is a touchdown that you regret not scoring. And ultimately, I think it was the difference in the game. Yeah, and you also had a couple of drops on that last drive. Haven't been impressed with Miami at all. In fact, they got Miss Michigan State on Saturday. Kenneth Walker, former Deacon, mm-hmm. versus that D-line that's lost all they've lost. Just keep a close eye on that one. It, it wouldn't be the. It, it would just be the latest in a not so very good opening few weeks for the ACC. It's been brutal. Yeah. Let's hear more from Mac Brown though. Mac was talking about. Actually, I don't even think he was asked about the USC job. He just wanted you to know he's been asked about the USC job. Okay. Somebody asked me yesterday that uh, a writer emailed me and said, uh, "What." what are the top five jobs in America? I said, okay, I can make 125 mad. Uh, so I said, Carolina, UNC, <laughs> Tar Heels, Chapel Hills football team, the university of North Carolina were my top, top five jobs. Chapel Hills football <laughs> oh, team. Oh man. That's awesome. Orange high Chapel hey, Hills football you team. Know, uh, Chapel Hill high school has a female starting safety. Yes. And I think they won Big last yeah, Friday as well. Five to six. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They're built differently over there. Actually, literally, since they have uh, female yeah. safeties that are mm-hmm. playing for the team as well while they're winning. USC's free. You know that every AC, uh, every NFL coach with who's coached in college before is going to get lumped into this. Reese Davis threw Matt Rule's name in the I ring. Got, and, I heard that. I and, don't see and, that. And I don't see that either. But just talking about the job... I still believe it's a top five job. Top five job. It's top, maybe the top one job. Really? I think, yeah, to me it's... I think Ohio State's the best job. Uh, Yeah, that's also a top one job. Ryan Day, Urban, Trestle, they all win across different coaches, and Ohio you got State's, the funding top three. Since Woody you only got to beat Michigan, and nobody else is close. <laughs> since since Woody Hayes, Ohio State has not made a hiring mistake. Even John Cooper won ten games. Yes, a year. he did. So yeah, that's the only program that they have not made any mistakes. So it might be coach proof. Um, Southern Cal needs the right coach. Alabama needs the right coach. Everybody else, every place else needs the right coach. But I think if you get the right coach. It's the best job. It's And plus, from a perception standpoint, you get the coach in the ACC, essentially, without being seen like the ACC scene, right? Clemson could dominate the ACC mm-hmm. in the last decade, and then people make jokes about the ACC across the country when the Big Ten is essentially the ACC, and that nobody's close to Ohio State. And I, honestly, I think you can do the same thing with Southern Cal. But I think this is a big hire not just for the Southern Cal and Southern Cal and Pac-12. I think it's a big hire for college football. Look, at some point the fact that we've only got four or five players every year. Every single year we know the four or five players. Because Florida State hasn't been a part of this and Texas hasn't been a part of it 
and Southern Cal hasn't been a part of it. Just got to get and the cities Michigan, involved. And Michigan. It's not about cities. It's about uh, blue blood programs. Well, I think it does matter in the sense of there's only really two major city jobs in college football. It's Miami and USC. Right, but Miami's not a player anymore. They are not. But and, USC can be, to your point. Well, yeah, but I don't think it has anything to do with just being in the city. I think the program itself... Uh, it's a Hollywood program. It's always been. I, I kept arguing as the NFL was trying to get teams in LA. You got a pro team in LA. It just happens to be Southern Cal. And you it's, got NIL to back that up uh, now. Yeah, that, all of that would be great. Look, it didn't stop USC from getting players uh, money in the past. No, <laughs> I mean it's what got them on. Untr- it got them in trouble. Yeah, where's Reggie's Heisman? Right. That's look. I it it would be. To me, it's a great job. I think James Franklin is the best fit for it. Really? But I don't believe it's going to be that easy to get him away from a a great program in a phenomenal position like Penn State is in right now. But I think that of of all the coaching candidates, he is the one who embodies the coaching, the recruiting, and the personality. You have to have a personality. They've had good coaches, but you have to have a personality to go there. The four that I like, and this isn't going to check the personality box, but it's Urban Meyer, if you can convince him to do it by the end of the year. They, first of all, they, they will never approach Urban Meyer for that job. Second guy, Mario Cristobal, who does have that personality, has experience coaching at Miami, Alabama, done a great job in the Pac-12 Possible. with Oregon. Eric Bieniemy, just because... We, Is he leaving now? We'll see. I mean, somebody, somebody gave that information to Adam Schefter. Right. And I think it's somebody that wanted that information out there, and Maybe it might Eric be Bien-Ami. Eric Bieniemy. So that's worth keeping an eye on. Offensive-minded, pro, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And I really like Bill O'Brien. He doesn't have the personality, but OC at Bama, head coaching experience, won a playoff game, well, and rebuilt a Blue Blood program in Penn State. Well, he he was only there for a couple of years, right? Well, you but saved he the program. It. He started, there's no question. O'Brien uh, kind of laid the foundation for James Franklin to come in uh, and take it to this level. Sure. Um, yeah, but as good a coach as O'Brien is, he he would he would get swallowed alive at that program. They he has no time for your uh, for your show. He has no time for it. And I I I abs- the coaches that have succeeded were larger than life figures in LA. John McKay. I know John Robinson, you don't think he was a personality. Oh, he was a no personality. Doubt. There's no doubt. John Robinson was and Pete Carroll. Carroll took it to a level that not even McKay or Robinson would you had not, taken it to. Would you be concerned about Franklin not really having much of an NFL background aside None. from the fact he went I think he was in Green Bay for a year. None. I mean, you don't need an NFL background uh, to go to Southern Cal. I mean, McKay didn't have one at first. Robinson had one the second time. Was actually wasn't even that yeah, good the it, second time. I guess the difference is so, L.A. is just a lot different than oh, State it, College. It, it is, but I don't think you need an NFL background to go there. Uh, I'm just saying that it, it helps because I think it's treated like a pro team. The celebrities on the sideline, it's like, it's in a way, it's Southern Cal football sort of like the Knicks. Uh, I mean, it just is. It's just a different animal. Um, I think Franklin would be great there. I just don't know if you can pry him away. You'd have to buy him away from Penn State. And Penn State's got money. So it's, it, they're in a difficult spot. They have, to, they have to get this higher right. Snoop Dogg, maybe as an assistant coach, bring him in. They got Ed Reed on the sideline in Miami. Gosh, Ed Reed. 
Oh, what a what a dude. Uh, Snoop and Will Ferrell. They could both be. They could both be head coaches. Uh, look, it's. I grew up a Southern Cal fan. Is that right? Oh, absolutely, man. When 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 you're in New York, and if you want to watch college football, you were watching essentially who was the best teams that were on. Southern Cal was on all. Oh, so you were the watching time. OJ and all that? I w- well, no, I'm kidding. What are you doing, it's man? A, it's a joke. So okay, so so answer this question before you kick me out. Answer this question. <laughs> My son, who you hear a lot sure. when we're on the phone, sure. My son turns 13 today. Happy birthday to Jack. Yes. So, I would like to say I am the father of a 13-year-old as opposed to I am the father of a teenager. I think saying it that way is... I'm just going to say I have a 13-year-old because I'm not worried about feeling old. It's not about that. But when you are the father of a teenager... There are too many negative things that run through A lot through of negative connotations. So 13-year-old man is innocent. Teenager, not so innocent. Robert, how do you feel about the... I'm happy I don't have a teenager. At least that you know of. Uh, that, yeah, that I would want anything to do with right. in the first place. Happy birthday, Jack. There you go. AG, we'll see you next week. You got it, man. Hey, Adam Goldjoe, noon to three right here on WSJS Sports. It's Hall of Fame weekend for Wake. Everything's great. They're 2-0 in Florida State's in town. Wake's a favorite. I'll tell you why Deke fans should be very worried about this game. Next. A man you all know and tolerate. 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 The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. The new head coach of the G League's Greensboro Swarm. Jordan Surenkamp joins us now on in the triad on WSJS Sports. We saw the schedule yesterday, five-year anniversary of the Swarm. That's all great and exciting. But before we get to the basketball, Jordan, you're moving to a new place. You're going to be in Greensboro. So help us help you. Get us to know, let us uh, get to know you a little bit. What are some of the things you're looking to do in Greensboro that we can give you some assistance on? Uh, well, thanks for having me, Josh. And I'm definitely excited about, about getting down or, uh, up to Greensboro. Sorry. And, uh, you know, I'm a big foodie. So if you want to stay away from basketball, I love a good burger and I love, uh, love some chicken and waffles. So I know that, uh, oh, wow. chicken and waffle there that I've been recommended to. And, um, yeah, if, if at any point anybody has any food ideas, Feel free to throw them my way. I'd love to give them a shot. Robert, what are we what are we thinking here? I, I think maybe like Hop's Burger Bar that comes to mind. That's pretty good. Been there in Greensboro a handful of times. There are a handful of great burger places. So now that people have your Twitter account and know you're looking for burgers on Twitter at Jordan Surencamp, you can send that his way. He is the new head coach of the Greensboro Swarm. Let's get the basketball for a little bit though. Maybe we could circle back to burgers at the end. It seems like the franchise is getting in a place, Jordan, where guys can go to Greensboro and develop, and there's not really that pressure and needing to bring them up to the big team in Charlotte. Do you get that same sense? Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the you know the reasons I'm really excited and grateful that the the organization here in Charlotte has given me this opportunity. Is um, you know the the value that it provides players in terms of. Um, you know, necessary game-like reps um, and high frequency that, you know, you may not necessarily be able to get 
um, on the floor with the with the Charlotte or or with the parent team, um, regardless of of what G League team it is. You know, I think the value of the the G League as a whole has has gone up exponentially over the last even five years. Um, and you know, especially here in Greensboro, and especially here in, in Charlotte, where as an organization we prioritize and and value the growth and development of young players. Um, I think it's something you've been able to see with, with Devontae Graham and Jalen McDaniels and you know Cody Martin and and some of these guys that are that are making um, and playing high level minutes you know for us in Charlotte and now elsewhere as well. But um, yeah, it's a no brainer and it's a reason to to be really really excited to be able to um, you know help those guys reach their goals and, and get them ready for for their next opportunity. We talked with James Borrego a few weeks ago and he said. He was looking to figure out who the coach was going to be in Greensboro and that the organization was putting together a game plan for Kai Jones's development. What can you tell us about some of the things that's being discussed in terms of how you plan to develop Kai? Yeah, and, and so those are, those are ongoing discussions. And, and, you know, I think the important part, um, you know, to it all is the plan that we are going to have in place for him. And, you know, Kai had a, had a really good summer league and, uh, you know, was, a lot was thrown at him in a short period of time. And I, I thought he did a really good job of being able to pick up on, you know, the fundamental concepts of, of what we're trying to do offensively and defensively. Um, and, you know, that's where you really got to start with any rookie or anybody that's coming into the league is, is getting them up to speed with your terminology, getting you up to speed with, you know, the philosophy and even off the court, the culture and the expectations of, of what it is and what it means to be a, a professional basketball player. So, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of um, things on the court that, that we're excited about with Kai, and, and we hope to um, continue to have him develop and grow um, into. And it's going to be really exciting to see um, a guy with, with that much potential and, and with that much youth and excitement and passion and love for the game of basketball to, to see where he can get in his career um, and, and really grow as a player um, and as a person off the floor as well. Swarm coach Jordan Surringham with us here on WSJS Sports. Did you go to Vegas for uh, summer league? Yeah, I was. I was uh, one of the assistant coaches on the staff um, for the team um, in Vegas, which was again from a coaching standpoint, great experience for me working with uh, one of you know our assistant coaches, Dutch Gately, who was who was our head coach and. Um, you know, being able to work with and get our hands on a lot of these young guys. It was an yeah. exciting time. And one of those guys was Leangelo Ball, who James Borrego said a lot of really complimentary things of. What type of things do you like about Jello's game that might translate well either to the Swarm or with the Hornets if you guys should take a look? What did you like from him in Summer League? Yeah, I you know we can we can talk about the the basketball side of it. I think his ability to shoot the ball and and his um, you know his size and length that allows him to guard multiple positions on the defensive end. So those are obviously um, key transferable NBA skills that you see. Uh, but even more so than just that was the type of person that that Jello was. You know he was extremely coachable, uh, was was open to you know critiques and criticisms. Um, and his game is all players should be in terms of wanting to grow and develop um, and to develop. So, um, you know, his ability to to take constructive criticism and to uh, be coachable and to bring 
Um, you know, the effort and the, and the competing and the types of things that you love to see as a coach every day, whether it was at, uh, you know, our summer league practices before we went to Vegas or, or you know, even in the games um, while we were there. He always played, um, you know, at a, at a very high level competition-wise um, and, and did his best to, um, you know, similar to Kai and some of these other young guys, do their best to grasp on to a lot of what's being thrown at them in a very short period of time. So I thought Jello did an incredible job of being able to handle that. And it was just a joy to be around. He's a really good kid. And, um, you know, all of those types of things are really, really important when, when you're trying to play basketball professionally, regardless of at what yeah. level. Jordan Zernkamp, Swarm Coach, with us here on WSGS Sports. He was introduced earlier today. You were chopping up video for the Hornets the last couple of years and got to see LaMelo Ball up close. JB very specifically describes him as being a unique talent. Not rare, not few, one of one. That's what LaMelo is. When you watched him, was was he most impressive during the games or in practice? Uh, both, to be honest with you. You know, he's he's definitely unique and definitely one of one. And I think Coach Borrego hit it, you know, right on the nose with that. Uh, you know, just some of the things that he's able to do on the court, you know, his vision, uh, his ability to pass the ball and, and make plays for teammates and uh, create opportunities for teammates um, is something that's, that he does at a very high level uh, very early on in his career, and, and especially with how young he is. You know, some of that, is, it takes years and years to develop, um, and he just seems to have that kind of stuff naturally. And then, you know, his ability to, to score the ball and, um, you know, all of that is, is definitely unique and it's definitely impressive to kind of sit back and, and watch. Um, and then on top of that, him as a kid and um, just the energy he brings to, to our culture and the, the environment here in Charlotte is, is something that can't go unnoticed. Um, you know, when he's in the room, he always raises the level of energy in the room. And, and I think in over, getting over, you know, a year now of, of knowing Mello and being on the court with him and just being around him. I'm not sure he's ever had a bad day. He's just a kid that, that loves the game of basketball, loves to play basketball, and just has this joy about him that just makes it hard not to smile and be grateful to be around someone like that. All right, let's circle back to burgers. Jor- Jordan Surenkamp with us here, swarm coach. Best fast food burger is what? And I'm including five guys Best in that. Fa- Oh man, you know In and Out. What are we looking at here? Whataburger. You know, I, I'm, I'm a, I, you know, I spent some time in Alabama. I'm not a big West Coast In and Out burger guy, so I'm going to say Whataburger. I think See. Whataburger has a great burger, but I will I will warn you that I am um, very far and distant from the fast food world more times than not. So, okay. Um, don't hold me. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> if we're getting, if how does Surin Camp like his burger. Are you are you medium rare? And what are we what are we doing in terms of toppings? We're learning a lot about you today. We, oh, I know this is fantastic. Uh, I'm definitely a medium guy. I, I think you got to value the nutrients that come with it. And not medium uh, rare, not actually, medium well, just just straight uh, medium. Little, uh, yeah, I can okay. go medium rare in some places, but I, I've had also some bad experiences with that elsewhere too. So I have to tread lightly. Um, on, on how it's cooked, uh, but I'm, I'm a I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, being from Indiana. So uh, you got to have cheese on the burger if you want to mm. throw some bacon on there. I'm with it too, and 
Um, I actually just took a, an inclination and a fascination with uh, guacamole and, and avocado over the last year or so. So you can throw that on there and some, maybe some barbecue sauce and call it a day. <laughs> what can you absolutely not have on the burger? Like under no circumstances. Uh, yeah, it's funny because everybody laughs at me. It's really anything healthy. You know, yeah, the, tomatoes, the lettuce, get out of here. Tomato. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I thought I was alone. I, I, you know, you make me feel good about this, Jordan. I, I, I feel sheepish whenever the whenever the waiter comes over and I'm with people. I feel embarrassed and sheepish to say, "Oh, can you take the tomato off that?" That's me every single time. Sometimes I don't even do it just out of the shame, and I do it after the fact when I get the burger that has tomato yep. on it. But not anymore. I feel the confidence now because Jordan Surinkamp, the new head coach of the Swarm, is with me on this. I, I I couldn't agree with you more, Josh. <laughs> you, uh, you congra- congratulations on the job. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we're going to chat sometime in the near future. Thanks for doing it. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jeff. There you go. There's Jordan Surencamp, the new head coach of the Swarm and noted anti-veggie on burger person. Are you with me on this, Robert? Tomatoes, get him the hell off my burger. No, not necessarily. If it's like a fast food place like McDonald's or Burger King, then I'll probably say no tomato. But if it's like a nice burger place or even better, like a cookout, I'll throw everything. Lettuce, tomato, onions, anything they have, I'll put on the burger. See, not me. No, no, no. And another no for me is caramelized onions. Can't do it. Give me the onion straws or fried onion being on the burger, but the caramelized onion, nope. Pass. Hard out. Can't have it. I'm fine with lettuce, though, if I'm being honest. But tomato? No siree. Not on my burger. Not today. Let's get to some sound that I believe is pretty compelling here. This is... the. This is from Good Morning Football. Peter Schrager's talking with Thomas Davis. His about his former teammate Cam Newton and whether or not he'd be a fit in Washington. And amid their conversation, we got some clarity. We got to the bottom of something finally that was pretty controversial at the time about five years ago. I remember there was an incident on a Sunday night in Seattle where Cam didn't wear a tie and Ron benched him for Derek Anders. Like That wasn't Ron. That wasn't Ron. Okay, so we we're, let's open up because you're the Carolina Panther yeah. eyes and ears. That was Dave Gettleman all day. Okay, okay. so that was Gettleman. Uh, so that's pretty damning five years ago Sunday night football playing the Seahawks Cam apparently didn't wear a tie on the plane and he doesn't start the game so they throw Derek Anderson out there for the first series and on the first play he throws an interception and the Panthers aren't even close to winning that game and it became the story Cam didn't start. Derek Anderson throws a pick on the first play. What's happening here? And Ron Rivera owned it, saying that it was a team decision. It was his decision. It was his policy. Not according to Thomas Davis. Now, do we take this with a grain of salt, Robert? Because Gettleman was the unpopular guy that let go of Josh Norman and was hesitant to give TD an extension, which was the final straw before... Jerry Richardson decided to let go of DG? Or do you buy what Thomas Davis to say there based on how 
defiant he was about it. I mean, I buy what he he has no reason to lie about it. So I mean, I, I agree with what he's saying, but I, yeah, I'd probably agree with what he's saying. Plus, it fits Gettleman's profile. This just adds to why it was time for Gettleman to go. I will stand up for Dave Gettleman, the general manager, in the sense of great football evaluator, good with the draft, rebuilt the Panthers, revamped things after the bad contract situation and salary situation. Marty Herney put them in. uh, Allowed for them to be a Super Bowl caliber team in 2015. Gettleman deserves credit there. But no people skills. Not very likable. Nobody really wanted to vouch for him in the building. So when it became when it came to a boiling point, you're not extending Olsen, you're not extending TD back in 2017 or 18, right before training camp, Richardson, he had built those really close relationships with Olsen and TD, and he's the owner of the team. So when it got to a boiling point, Gettleman's lack of people skills and lack of social awareness at points, that's what I think really did him in more than his performance as a general manager. Although his mind is still as sharp as ever, he occasionally has trouble seeing small print and needs the assistance of a handheld ferret to read letters. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. It's time for Culture Shock, where we put our resident young person to the test. It's intern Cole, who started keeping his wins-loss record here from the very beginning. It's now starting to get dramatic as a result. He's an intern at Elon, or excuse me, a student at Elon, an intern on the show, and he's 20. So, there are things that you might think happened yesterday that actually happened when Cole was four or five years old. And thus, we educate the youth here on the drive with Josh Graham by figuring out how much or how little Cole knows about people that I'm sure most of us know quite a bit about. So let's play the game. And I'll get us started here. Because last night, I was watching Once Upon a Time in Queens and started thinking about the Mets. I didn't think it'd be fair to ask him about guys who were playing there before he was born, like Daryl Strawberry or Doc Gooden or Hernandez or any of them on that 86 team. So I decided to go more recent. Robert, remember I told you I was bullied in the mid two thousands, and the way that they pranked me, me. I could have. Oh yeah, yes. That's right. Just give off that general vibe. Remember, I told you they took a Sports Illustrated and they urinated on it in gym class. The one I was really excited about. I remember. Yeah. Well, Johan Santana was on the cover of that Sports Illustrated that I was excited to read and never did because of those bullies back when I was in school. You didn't look at it; just dry it off. No. You aren't eating it. You're just reading it. So, Johan Santana is the first of three here. Do you know who Johan Santana is, Cole? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I know who he is exactly. Well, let me just throw some facts out here to refresh your memory. 
two truths, one lie. You just got to tell us what the lie is. You were three for three last week. Where's your record at now? Uh, I think I'm 15 and 17. That's correct. You're 15 and 17. So if you go three for three this week, you would have a plus record for the first time since playing this game. So a lot's on the line here. Fact number one, Cole. Before becoming the big-ticket Mets free agent signing, he spent the first eight years of his career with the Minnesota Twins. Second fact, he is the most recent player to achieve a pitching triple crown. And the third fact, his one career no-hitter was in the final year of his big league career in 2012. So there you have it. First eight years of his career with the Twins. Most recent player to achieve a pitching triple crown. or And uh, career no-hitter. His first career no-hitter was in the final year of his career in 2012. Which of those is the lie? Oh. Hit me with some baseball today on a Wednesday. <laughs> uh, let's see. Gosh, it's only Wednesday. Yeah, it is I just now Wednesday. realized that. Um, it's hump day. Okay, so I think I do remember Johan Santana from the Mets, uh, which doesn't really clear any of these questions up. Um, I don't think he started there. Um, so unless you're trying to trick me, I would say that the first one with the Twins is correct. Uh, but you could be trying to trick me with the Twins or the eight years. Um, I'm going to say that one's true. Um, most recent player to achieve the pitching triple crown. I feel like... I think there's been someone recent that actually... Do you know what the pitching triple count is? I don't know what it is exactly, but I like remember seeing that. Like It's on- wins, ERA, strikeout. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Um, so I feel like someone recently has done that, you know, within the next... Or the last, you know, three or four years or so. So I'm going to say that one's not true. He's not the most recent player. That's you were correct. Hey... There I didn't you know go. The that one either. Justin Verlander did it in 2011. Shane Beamer, Shane Bieber, excuse me, did it last year with the Cleveland right. Indians. Yeah. So That's it was an abbreviated that. season. So, eh, I'm not sure if it really counts, but Justin Verlander did it in 2011. Johan Santana, his final year with the Twins, did so in 2006. Robert Walsh, you take the wheel here. Cole. Perfect right now, one and zero. He needs to be perfect three for three in order to have a plus record. All right, Cole. Last week you told me you didn't watch a ton of SNL, uh, so I wanted to give you a question that you maybe could feel like you actually know this time. Uh, so I wanted to go SNL hosts, and all you need to do is tell me which one of these guys did not host SNL. Oh wow! I'll see if I can Ooh. get this too. Is it Brad Pitt? Is it Steve Martin or is it Tom Hanks? Which one of these guys has not hosted SNL? Tom Hanks has hosted it. I, I did watch that SNL. Like I said, I've seen some. I'm not always watching it, and there's a lot that I have missed. But I did watch the Tom Hanks SNL one. Steve Martin, I think, was on it. Can you picture what he looks like? You know what Steve oh. Martin looks like. He's he, uh you oh, remember wow. cheaper by the dozen? Or? Doesn't know who Steve Martin is. <laughs> he's a he's just a banjo singer. That's who okay. Steve Martin is. Banjo band 
That's actually He's true, but okay. yeah, he is a comedian. But he he is also a musician now, and the band's pretty good. Comedians usually host SNL, from what I know. Uh, Brad Pitt, prominent celebrity, easily could have hosted it. Easily also could have been on it, though. I don't think I don't think Brad Pitt did host. It. I think I would have seen that. One. I do like Brad Pitt. You don't. I think that's correct. Yeah. Wow. Definitely Steve. Josh Martin wasn't even waiting for the times. bail. He was just going to give it out. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt has made appearances on SNL. He was Dr. Fauci uh, early in the pandemic, but he has yep. never hosted SNL. Good job there. You're two for two. And Hanks hosted the first one that they had post pandemic where everybody was at home. Hanks, I think, did the first one last well, year because he, he tested uh, Steve positive Martin and Tom Hanks are, are one and three. For most hosted SNL, wow. so that's why I included them. Steve Martin's hosted it 15 times. Tom Hanks has hosted it 10 times. That's unbelievable. Uh, and the last one, since Norm McDonald passed yesterday, I thought I'd include a Norm uh, culture shock, but I didn't want to be like facts about Norm because anything could be true with that guy. So I wanted you to tell me which one of these jokes is a Norm McDonald joke. Two of them are, one of them is not. Which one is not a Norm McDonald joke? Uh, starting off with, ID is a strange abbreviation. The I stands for I, and the D stands for identification. Advil has a candy coating. It's delicious. And it says right on the bottle, do not have more than two. Well, then don't put a candy coating around it. And three, I once walked in on my parents having sex. It was the worst 30 minutes of my life. Mm. Which one of those is not a Norm McDonald joke? This is... Did you know a ton about Norm no. before yesterday? No. I hope you got to watch some clips to get a little bit of a sense of humor, but super uh, dark, I super blunt, super to the point, and take that hint as what you will as to which ones would be a uh, Norm McDonald joke. Okay, so... Just, All great jokes. He's dark, and then I'm leaning towards the second two. Because, you know, ID is a strange abbreviation, the I short for I, the D... <laughs> necessarily the T is for identification <laughs> oh man what do you think I mean, that cracks you up like, like one of those yeah, iconic I mean, it's lines just, it's just ridiculous like there was a couple of these that i was like uh there's no way i could do justice like the way he says some stuff is just like go look up the moth joke on conan that's when conan filled in for leno for that one year or was the host of the Tonight Show? The the moth jokes, my favorite late night joke I've ever heard. Um, I'm gonna go just shot in the dark and say the ID is a strange abbreviation. The I short for I. The D is for identification. As uh, the lie. Oh, the candy coating. That was not. That was uh oh, that's somebody I probably venture to say was Robert's this might be Robert's favorite comedian if not Bo Burnham yeah he's not talking about Mitch Hedberg but Mitch Hedberg that's a Mitch Hedberg joke yeah Mitch Hedberg's tremendous so pretty good list there but you're still under 500 Cole I hate to break it to you your record now stands at 17 and 18 Gotta wait till next week to have another shot to Still get above five hundred. Still closing in on it though. Like I remember when you started and you would go like <laughs> every week. It was like, oh no, another three losses, another three losses. Like you really dug yourself out of this hole. Yeah, we're coming back. 
Cole's almost Cole, out of the hole. Don't call it a comeback. We will call it a comeback if you do. Do you know who said don't call it a comeback if you're going to make references like that? No. Yeah. It was... Uh, the LL Cool J? That's correct. Did he Google it, Robert? No. He just pulled it. Pulled it right out of my head. Impressive. That's been Culture Shock for this week. Matt Rule's name's been thrown into the USC coaching search. At least into the conversation. Could it happen? I'll tell you my stance next on The Drive.